You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. their message. They spoke with boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit and the oneness of Christ. There was power in this message. It continued to go forth. And I believe that when we speak, sometimes we don't speak with power. We don't speak with the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a timidity there. And sometimes there's no conviction in our heart. And people look at our lives and they go, what's different? What makes your life so different than mine? And when they don't see that difference, when they don't see Christ in our lives, and we don't have that conviction that what we're living is real, why would they want that? Are you living your life in a way that reflects God's love and grace? In today's message, Pastor Dave talks about how we are to represent God in all aspects of our lives. This means treating others with kindness and respect, even when it's difficult, showing compassion to those in need, and living according to His standard. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 4 as he continues his message, So Heavenly Minded, No Earthly Good. We begin our study today in Acts 4.32. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. You know, when we studied the book of Philippians last year, we looked into this unity, and we said that this unity comes from a submissive mind. And we know that this submissive mind, as our example, is the mind of Christ. Christ had a submissive mind. Look at Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4. Paul speaking says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out for the interest of others. And then in verse 5, Paul gives us the answer on how to do this. He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he says in Corinthians, you have the mind of Christ. Being born again in this new creature, this new creation with the Holy Spirit, we have that mindset. It's a submissive mindset. It's a submissive mindset, which means I am going to esteem you. I'm going to look out for my own interests, but I'm going to look out for your interests more. See how my priorities are now straight. I have God, I have others and things. And I'm others-centered because I'm looking out for other well-being. We all looked out for that. I mean, if you were looking out for me and I was looking out for you, just think of how easily it would be to get along. Christ is our example of the submissive mind. Christ was submitted to the Father. He was submitted even unto death, death on the cross. When we submit there, we're one. When we submit to God, we're one. When we submit to Christ, we're one. And when we submit to one another, and when we esteem others better than ourselves, and when we have others' interest in mind, the Holy Spirit continues to work and fill us. This is what we see in the book of Acts with these new believers. This was the reality of their lives. You look at their priorities, like I said, it was God, others, possessions, because the, re- the unity that they had, they regarded people more important than things. This is a God-given, spirit-filled unity. The Holy Spirit was mighty at work in their lives. 
The Holy Spirit was doing a job. This become evidenced by their actions of these. Look what the Holy Spirit did in their lives as he works through this crowd. First of all, they realized that anything they had was a gift of God. Anything they've been given was a gift of God. It says that in verse 32. Neither did anyone say that all the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. I don't have anything. Everything I have, God gave to me. I praise him for the paycheck I get because God gave me the job to have the paycheck. I praise him for everything I have, everything I own. It doesn't belong to me. It's his. He's given it to me. He's allowed me to use it. Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know that the things that have been freely given to us by God. We know these things have been freely given to us. We see a model here for a vibrant and healthy church, a model that we should look at. Having all things in common symbolize that they were becoming more spiritually minded and less earthly minded, less material minded. They were becoming more spiritually minded. Indeed, they were becoming more heavenly minded and less earthly minded. They were seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when they did this, God supplied. God added to their numbers. God added to their needs. God took care of their wants as he promised to do. You know, Jesus had this vision of oneness for his church. We read that in the John passage in John 17. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you have loved me. This is a mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's a mystery. We don't understand it. But by faith, we believe it. By faith, we accept it. But, we're in divisions with the body. When there are divisions, that oneness is broken and suffering happens and we hurt and Christ hurts. The church hurts when we divide the body. So the first thing they did was they realized that their possessions were a gift of God. And secondly, this spirit-filled unity led to evangelism. It led to more evangelism. They magnified the name of the Lord and spoke of his resurrected body. In verse 33, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the attitude that was shown in verse 32, placing God first, people second, and material things in a distance, they were given great power. The word used here for the Greek is our old friendly word, dunamis. Dunamis, where they got the word dynamite, this power that was promised. It's the same word, remember, that was used when Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1, verse 8, and you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That dunamis power, that dynamic power when the Holy Spirit working in your life. They were given this power because they were seeking God. See, we want this power. We want all these things. But we don't seek God. We expect Him to give those things to us. We need to seek Him for those things. We need to call out his name and ask for these things and seek him with our whole hearts and ask for these things. These new believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were unified and they magnified the name of Jesus Christ. They preached the resurrected Christ, the living Lord they preached, not one who was hanging on a cross still, but one who was buried and one who rose from the dead on the third day as he said he would. That's the one they preached the living Lord Jesus, the resurrected Christ, because in him was newness of life and in him is newness of life. We studied last week, John eleven twenty five, 25, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Yes, Jesus Christ did not just rise from the dead. It says, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection. 
There is no resurrection without Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection. He is the embodiment of the resurrection. His life and whosoever believes in him, even though he's dead, he will never die. Do you believe it? What he asked Martha. This is a message that's worth hearing. Jesus is alive today. We said that last week. We said it a hundred times. He's alive today. I can never get tired of saying it. I can never get tired of telling you that Jesus is alive. And he's alive today. And he's here in this room. He's here with us. It's the heart of the gospel message. It's the very core of the gospel message. See, the new believers knew this, and they preached it with boldness. They preached it with power. And it says they had great power because they gave witness of the resurrection. What do you think that looked like? What do you think this witness looked like? Outsiders saw something different about these people. Outsiders would look, you know, and I can imagine every time the outsiders would look, they're all together. They didn't want to leave each other's company. I don't know about you, but I love it when we're all together. I just love the fellowship that goes on. I love hanging out and talking with you people and you, you wonderful people. I just love hanging here and talking and sharing the Lord with you. After church, before church, whenever we're here together, I enjoy that. That's the way this group was. These people never wanted to live. They didn't want to go home. They wanted to stay there and hang out. They loved it. Of course, today you're going to think I'm ignorant because I have to run right after church. But, uh, but I really like you guys. <laughs> Now, there's something special that happens when we're fellowshipping with each other. That iron sharpening iron. There's something special that happens when brothers and sisters in the Lord fellowship. And I get to know you. And you get to know me, not just as a pastor. You get to know me as a person. As a sinner saved by grace, just like you. As someone who is no different than you, but who has been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And who has that same hope of life after death, that same hope of Jesus Christ alive in me. We are no different. Unless you haven't accepted that message, unless you haven't made that choice to make him Lord of your life and to accept him in your life, and I urge you to do that as soon as you can. But what did this look like? They had conviction. There was conviction in their heart. They believed what they were saying, and when people heard it, they knew that they believed it. They recognized the conviction in their lives. They believed their message. They spoke with boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit and the oneness of Christ. There was power in this message. It continued to go forth. You know, I believe that when we speak sometimes, we don't speak with power. We don't speak with the power of the Holy Spirit. I, there's a timidity there. And sometimes there's no conviction in our heart. And people look at our lives and they go, what's different? What makes your life so different than mine? And when they don't see that difference, when they don't see Christ in our lives, and we don't have that conviction that what we're living is real, why would they want that? If they think they're doing okay, why would they change? Why would they not? We know the benefits, but yet there's something wrong about the, about the transference of, of energy there, the transference of what we're saying. And I know it's the Holy Spirit's job, but we're also supposed to, supposed to be contagious. What I have is supposed to be contagious, and people are supposed to want it. Because they see something in me that, that's real. And they go, I want that. I really want that. If I actually had somebody come to me one time and say, when he, when he saw my marriage with Beatrice, he said, you know, I want that. I said, well, you want the Lord. Because that's what makes that. The Lord makes it. I got to share with them. When people see it, it's contagious and they want it. We go back to what James said. We have head knowledge. Oh, we know our word. Oh, boy, we can recite it. But it didn't drop to the heart. We don't have that heart knowledge comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. 
Look at the other benefit of this oneness. Look at the next benefit of this oneness. Continuing in verse 34. And great grace was upon them all. Oh, great grace. God's unmerited favor. God's great grace. The Greek word here for grace is charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. Listen to the definition of grace. A divine influence upon the heart. Isn't that beautiful? A divine influence upon the heart. I love this. The word for great here is megas, which means exceedingly large, loud, mighty, and strong. They had great grace. This great grace was poured out upon them because they were seeking God. And God is a rewarder of rewarder. He gives rewards to those who diligently seek him. And they were diligently seeking him, and he was rewarding them with what? With exactly what they wanted. Not great big houses, not fancy cars, not all this wonderful stuff. What did they want? They wanted more of him. What is the desires of our heart? More of God. Lord, we want more of you. We want more of you in our lives. And God says, I'm going to reward that. Here I am. And he gives you more of him. Wow, that's what they wanted. And just great grace poured upon them. Poured upon them. These new believers not only experienced God's grace upon their lives because of the oneness, because of their unity and being filled with the Holy Spirit, and upon acting with God's word, they received great grace, this power and beautiful grace. What a combination. This combination makes a church vibrant. This combination makes a church alive. This combination makes a church contagious. And people want to be a part of that. People want to be a part of that. It's my fervent prayer that we would have this oneness, that we would have unity, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would act upon God's word, and that we would receive great power to evangelize and to act upon God's word, and that great grace would come upon us. It's a fervent prayer that I have. Not that we would be huge, but that you would grow in the love of the Lord and you would want to seek him more. You would want everything God has for you in this life. And I told you before, I'm greedy when it comes to my God. Because I want everything he has for me. I want every single thing he wants to give me. I want it. Lord, here I am. I give it to me. I'm ready. Please. And we seek him diligently. In verses 34 and 35, this oneness that they experienced, this great grace of God which was upon them, now demonstrates itself in the lives of the new believers by leading them to share what they had with each other. Let's read 34 and 35. Nor was there among them who lacked. For all who had possessions of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each of anyone had need. When the Holy Spirit is ruling your life, giving becomes a blessing and a joy. It is not a burden. What these people were doing, they were giving things. They were selling land, selling possessions, and they were giving it away. Why? They didn't own the possessions. God gave them to them. There was a gift, so they were selling them. They were giving them away. They're putting the money at the apostles' feet. Keep in mind, this Christian communism, this Christian form of communism or communism was very different than the political communism of today. Keep in mind, it's very important. I like what commentator said this. This is pretty cool. This commentator said, there is a contrast between communism and koinonia. Communism says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. Koinonia says, what's mine is yours, I'll share it. It's a difference. Big difference. 
This was not backed by some political gain. This was not backed by some political party. This was something that was backed by the Holy Spirit. This was something that the Lord placed upon their heart to do. And they didn't do it all at once. They weren't all selling their homes. When you read the Greek, when you read the original Greek, it says, as time can buy and as things came up, people would sell their houses to give to those that need. So this was great grace being upon them, and they realized this. This was a wonderful time. They did this completely voluntary because of the love of Christ. It was a voluntary thing. We don't think. I'm not sitting here saying, now, oh, go out and sell your possessions and bring your money here. No, don't do that. That's the Lord tells you to, unless you have a real big mandate from the Lord. If you want to know about Christian giving, if you want to know what it looks like, go to Corinthians 8 and 9, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and read it. It talks about Christian giving. It's also outlined in the epistles. It's an intimate practice between you and the Lord. It is the spirit of giving that we're talking about here. The spirit of giving, not the, that, that strikes a chord in us today. These people wanted to share their possessions. They wanted to share what they had. They wanted to share because everything was a gift of God. They wanted to share God's love with those people that had need. Need to talk about a side note here. Many, many believe that this system was actually caused Jerusalem's downfall as far as the church was becoming, they became destitute because too many people sold everything, quit their jobs, and said to the church, provide for me. And the church became destitute. In fact, the apostle Paul ended up taking collections from all the Gentile churches to give to the church of Jerusalem because they ran out of money because they, they were giving everything away. So that this, this didn't really work. It was a wonderful thought and it was beautiful, but it really didn't work. It ended up disastrously for they gave because God had given them so much. And they realized God's gift. And from their heart, they freely gave to one another. When a need arose, they met it. They gave the need. They gave to the need. It's interesting now that Dr. Luke points to one individual. And he names this person as a generous giver. He points out in one individual, last several verses, that Joseph, whose name was Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we're introduced to Barnabas, son of encouragement. What a great name. I love that name, son of encouragement. I, I, that's a great name. I love that name. You can tell a lot about it. Somebody who has a name of son of encouragement, right away, you think you know that person. Well, he was true to his name because he was an encourager. He was an encourager. In fact, in Acts 9, 26 and 27, in Acts 11, 19 to 30, in Acts 13, 1 to 5, he encouraged the Apostle Paul during the missionary times. He encouraged him. And he also encouraged his cousin, John Mark. He encouraged him after Mark's failure on the mission field in Acts 13, 13, and Acts 15, 36 to 41, and Colossians 4 to 10. Barnabas is going to have a very important ministry in the new church. And we're going to read a lot about him because Luke mentions him no less than 25 times in the book of Acts. Barnabas will be mentioned. And he's also mentioned five times in the epistles. But I think the main reason Barnabas is introduced to this at this time, because he's an, the epitome of what Luke was talking about, what the believers were doing. He sold his land and he gave it to the apostles so that they could distribute it. They could distribute it. But whenever the Spirit-filled church is in oneness, whenever the Spirit-filled church is in unity, Whenever the believers in a spirit-filled church are doing God's word and being doings of the word, the enemy likes to strike. It appears that Satan couldn't silence the church. He tried, 
but he wanted to silence the church witnesses. The Sanhedrin, whom Satan thought would silence the church, couldn't act upon the apostles at this time. So he decides to change his strategy. Whereas he attacked the church from the outside, we're going to see in chapter 5, he's going to attack the church from the inside. And he uses Barnabas as the one that this husband and wife become envious of because they see the attention that Barnabas is getting by taking the offering before the disciples, and they devise a plan. They devise a plan through Satan, and he wants to attack the church and rip the church apart. He's introduced to us as a great example here. But as this couple, as I said, this couple backfires for them in chapter 5. Let me read you what Warren Wiersbe says of this about Satan concerning this. He said, we need to be ever aware of Satan's tricks and ploys. He is indeed a clever foe. If he does not succeed as a roaring lion and devouring lion in 1 Peter 5.8, then he attacks us again as a deceiving serpent or an angel in light in 2 Corinthians 11.3 uh, and 13 and 14. Satan is a murderer and a liar. We found that out in John 8.44. And the church must be prepared for both of his attacks, inside and outside. We need to be on the guard. But enough about Satan. Enough about him. Let's go back to Unio Mystica, Christ in us, the hope and glory. If we are one with Christ, if you are one with Christ, and you have Christ dwelling in your life because you've made a profession of faith in him, and you believe in the sacrifice, and you believe that he was raised from the dead, and you've been born again into a living hope, then this is for you. When Satan comes sliding around at your feet, when he comes sneaking around the doors and knocking where he's not wanted, this is for you. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We are overcomers when we are in Jesus Christ and in that oneness. We are overcomers. Don't break the unity of you and Christ and the Father. Paul said, never see yourself separated from the love of Christ. And then he goes on the list, this huge list of what, what can separate you. Basically, nothing, except we seem to separate ourselves. We're the ones that walk away. We're the ones that leave. This oneness, this unity in Christ, what a mystery. What a glorious thing it is that we have. And I just want to leave you with these words. We've had this scripture before, but somehow it came up to me, and I need to say it to you. In Psalm 133, our beloved David, the psalmist, is writing, and he says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Are you one with Christ today? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit because of that oneness? Maybe you want to be a doer of the word, but you haven't asked the Holy Spirit to be your guide, to give you the power to do the word. He's calling on you right now. He's saying, be a doer of the word. Be a doer of my word. Accept my son's sacrifice. Won't you? Won't you allow him into your life today? Won't you let him guide you and lead you? Don't be afraid. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. 
In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Assure Hope.